in three, two, one. I'm Jerry Tribbiano, and you're listening to the I Love Shanty Show. Oh, Shanty, are you home? darlings and yes i am home and i have missed you from last week and oh my goodness do we have quite the show this week for i love shanny show i have a very special guest fellow podcaster in the world jay scott from his podcast the hook rocks welcome jay hello hello how are you i am doing well thank you so much for making time for me i know you've got a busy schedule you're like interviewing rock stars and all well i do do that but i'm more impressed do all these people normally are they normally at your house um i honestly yes um i tend to um have a lot of people i've got a slot machine here i got a mini roulette table um so i've always got something going on over here i just i've never you know Thank you so much. Yes, I do um, try to have a live studio audience around me constantly since I'm constantly entertaining. So it just validates me, honestly. So um, now you're based out of the Chicago area. And um, so, I mean, how how was that in the podcasting and the rock and roll world over there? Just curious. Yeah, I mean... It's a cool scene. There's a lot of clubs. There's a lot of live venues in the Chicago area. I mean, you fall out of bed, you could be at a at a live venue. And I know a lot of places across the country struggle with that. Chicago doesn't seem to have that problem, both the suburbs and in the city. But unfortunately, like most regions and, and most cities, it's hard for new rock and roll to get noticed. And it's primarily a, a cover band scene which is depressing um <laughs> but there are still a, a lot of good young rock bands coming out of chicago and there's always a show and a concert to go to pretty much every weekend well yeah so um any new bands out of the chicago area that have gotten your attention lately yeah, there's this metal, like metalcore band called Ignescent. I just had Jennifer the singer on the podcast prior to the new year. Uh, Chains Over Razors, which is another cool metal band that uh, I really dig. They're really awesome. Those are the two that come to mind in Chicago. Um, and Pete Dankelson, Pete's Diary, who's from the suburban Chicago area. He's got a really big presence on social media. You guys look up Peach Diary. He's jamming on his guitar all the time, and he's got his he's got his band that should be releasing an album at some point in the new year. So, those are the few that uh, come to mind right off the top of my head. Oh well, hell yeah! So I've got to ask you this: What got you into the podcasting world? Well. As my son was getting older, becoming more independent, getting, you know, junior high, once being out with his friends more, and that's what he should be doing, right? That's what any young kid should be wanting to hang out with his friends instead of his old man. So I had a choice, you know, I either was going to go find a girlfriend or start a podcast. (laughs) Here we are four and a half years later, or yeah, four and a half years later, obviously I started a podcast. Well, hell yeah. Um, so now, did you know 
in the beginning that you were going to like basically like enter like you wanted to interview bands and it was going to be like based from music or it just kind of happened yeah the idea really came from my love for new rock bands and new artists i, I really think the new rock scene is incredible there's a lot of great bands out there and unfortunately a lot of these bands go unnoticed because rock has become so far out of the mainstream only a few new rock bands like your Greta Van Fleets and your Warnings and The Warning is a great is a great female band from Mexico they're they're phenomenal Dirty Honey The Struts Tyler Bryant some of those bands are are recognizable with mainstream but compared to decades before it's really hard to get noticed and i just kind of fell in love with these new rock bands and was kind of disappointed that they weren't getting a lot of press and a lot of notoriety because you know everything is just so formulated now and algorithms are just what rule the world and music and how you consume music so i started this podcast with really the the intent on promoting new bands and that's always been the number one and I still do that and we also have a couple other different pillars of content that we have we do our commentary which can go from everything you know from what's happening with live nation and ticketmaster to how ai is impacting music to live album reviews audio uh conversations about audio quality and different types of speakers, how to make your system sound good, all that kind of stuff. We we've had conversations about stoner rock and the great genre that what that that is. And then also lastly is, you know, inviting legendary guests onto the show and and talking to them about what they're doing. You know, recently we've had Joe Satriani, we had Tracy Guns, we've had Don Dakin, you know, a few of those artists, a few of those types of artists, George Lynch has been on the show several times. So Really, like I said, the main goal is to promote new music, new bands, but the other forms of content that we do really bring in the audience and hopefully they stick around and listen to the new music spotlights that we do. Hell yeah. I mean, that's really good natured, you know, and I like that where it wasn't intended for necessarily to have the bigger names. You did it coming from a good place, you know, to try to get a spotlight on some of the bands that weren't getting the attention and it grew into something much bigger. And so how long have you been around for? I will turn five years old in June. Oh. So four and a half years I've done at the current time about 550 plus episodes. Good Lord. So, uh, yeah, I just <laughs> did 102 episodes last year. And I took a couple months off of the, during the year because uh, I had some things to tend to. But normally, you know, anywhere from, you know, 105 episodes to 130 is kind of the norm what I, I do. Wow. So, I mean, is that like popping one out a day or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I usually average three, you know, a week. Um, sometimes I do four, sometimes I do two, but normal is three. And once you start at this and you get kind of in a rhythm, it's really hard to slow down. It's really hard to lower your output, so to speak. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's um, 
it doesn't feel like it's a, a job and, until I'm editing the podcast, which is always a big thing in the ass. But Amen. recording the content and setting up the interviews and, and getting excited about guests and what we're going to talk about, that's what really kind of drives this. And of course, anytime I see a new band or hear a new band, I want to have them on because they're, they're great. And I want to be able to promote them. And quite frankly, podcasts these days, mine and other podcasts who really do promote the new music are really in the, on the front lines when it comes to new bands and artists and getting people to listen to them because there is no more rock radio anymore. There's no more station that you can turn on and hear bands that are coming out. You have a vast, several platforms where you can find music and sometimes that can be intimidating too much to a listener so when you hear people say i don't know i can't find new music new music sucks or whatever it's because they're not looking in the right places and it's hard to find the right place so find a podcast either it's the hook rocks or other podcasts in general that do a great job as well that really promote the new music and the new bands because it's needed. There's going to be a huge problem with rock music over the next 10 years where all these big bands that we know and love are going to stop touring and we're already seeing it. We saw, geez, you know, kiss do the end of the road tour. We've seen, um, ACDC slow down. We don't know if they're going to tour again yet. They did power trip a few months ago. So there is, um, you know, there are the bands that are, are stopping and more and more are going to be happening over the next few years. Wow. Um, that's uh, definitely something to think about. And um, so do you see um, like some of the younger bands or some of the newer bands um, being able to step up to the spotlight of the ACDCs and the Kisses of the World? Yeah, absolutely. I believe that the rock music that is coming out today is just as good as the bands and the eras that we know and love. The 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all those eras were great and they all were unique in some way. And people resisted them back then. But unfortunately, or I should say, fortunately, they had the outlets. Rock radio in the 60s and 70s was big. MTV in the 80s and 90s was, was big. And when those platforms went away and rock music stopped being played on the airwaves unless it's classic rock or mtv stopped showing videos two three decades ago whenever it was rock music really suffered and bands like Greta van fleet i know they're a love hate type of band because people think they're ripping off led zeppelin and i am the biggest led zeppelin fan that there is and Led Zeppelin ripped off a lot of people in their prime, too. They've been taken to court, I don't know how many times, for copyrights and you know writing songs that they didn't give people credit for. So Greta Van Fleet's a great young band. The Struts are a great young band. The Warning is absolutely incredible. These three sisters from Mexico that are just, I think at the end of the day, they're going to be at the top of the food chain. They are what, in my opinion, what Metallica would be if Metallica came out in present day in 2023, 2024. You have bands like Dirty Honey that are great. Uh, Tyler Bryant, The Shakedown, which is an incredible band. There's so many bands that I could name. Um, man, yeah, there's just so many. Mammoth, WVH, Wolfgang Van Halen's band is absolutely phenomenal. 
and so many more, so many great bands. So yeah, check out the Hook Rocks and you'll hear all about them. Hell yeah. Now, let me ask you this. You mentioned MTV and, you know, I remember watching MTV in the 80s and it was so exciting to see the music videos. Um, what do you think happened with that and where was the turn where they got away from the music and started to focus on the reality television? Like, I mean, you know, it was music television um, and it was just kind of like, I don't understand how that went away because watching the music videos was like so badass. It really kind of gave you an insight into, you know, the meaning of the song, you know, or at least an idea. That's a great question. I, I think there's a multiple or a multitude of reasons as to why MTV started to do original programming instead of just doing videos. Um, the music landscape really changed after the heyday of MTV, which was the 80s. Uh, MTV, I don't think there was any bigger period of time in MTV's history than probably 83 through 93, 10 years. And a large part of that was because of the bands that were coming from LA and other bands that were included in that scene. And somewhere, somewhere down the line, a new vision happened and they went away from that. And they got into the grunge era, which a lot of people that love that glam rock scene resisted um, but there was still a great period of original music, whether you like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, and all those bands that came out during that era. It was still a viable scene. The Seattle scene was, was just as big and popular as the LA scene at the time. So things started to happen. They got the real world. They get, they had that reality show that really took off. And I think they got seduced by it where they can create all this programming that is really cheap. Reality television to produce is very cheap. That's why you see so much of it now on network TV, whether it's The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, um, you know, whatever, Survivor. All these shows are very cheap because they don't need sets. They don't need, they don't need to pay actors. They don't need to do all that stuff. So to pump out programming, it's, nothing next to nothing compared to buying the rights to videos and all these things that they were doing rights to concerts. So I think a lot of it had to do with cost. And I think a lot of it had to do with MTV trying to be the smartest people in the room and thinking that this was the direction that young people wanted to go. And I think it was fine for the first few years, but when you dumb down your content, it really, if you've ever seen, I haven't watched MTV in years, but I remember probably the last time was probably 20 years ago for me. And since some of the content was just brainless, dumb, it really was at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to TV programming. Yeah. And unfortunately, they, they got seduced by it and they kept going with it and there's no end in sight, but I always kind of chuckle when I hear them doing the the video awards, the MTV video awards, when they don't show videos. And there's an obvious need for it because YouTube is so big and everybody posts their videos on YouTube that I still think there is a need for a mainstream basic cable channel that focuses solely on the personalities of the VJs, like the Mark Goodmans and the Alan Hunters and the Martha Clins, and showing videos of 
these new bands that are out there, whether it's rock and roll, whether it's hip hop, whether it's pop music. I think the world needs to go back and have that. And if it's not going to be MTV, they need to stop calling themselves music television. Because I agree. 100%. Their channel has nothing to do with music. It is just dumb programming. Literally, like, it's for dumb people. You know, I was always really um, surprised that, you know, they continued with ratings with some of the shows that they had out, you know. And I was just thinking, you know... I could have swore that MTV was the shit back in the 80s and they had the ratings. So hopefully um, somebody out there with a billion trillion dollars um, will start up a, you know, another reborn MTV. And so that way these amazing videos that these musicians take the time and the money to go do can be showcased. You know, and instead yeah. of on YouTube, where it's like, it just seems like there's so many videos that it's overwhelming. You know, like if someone wanted to start up a YouTube channel or have their platform be on YouTube where all they do is show videos and they have guests 24-7, you can turn in, tune into this channel and they'll be showing videos of your new, of new bands, artists of your favorite bands, and they'll have the VJ personalities like they did before. Mm -hmm. I think that would really grow into something or if somebody wanted to have an app on on your phone or you know you can you can you know cut the cord with cable and you can buy the app channels you know whether it's espn or whether it's you know whatever news channel you want to buy and then you can get you can kind of plug and play whatever you want if someone were to create something like that i think it would be pretty popular but again you know it's, it's got to be the right platform it's got to be the right outlet for them to to put it on, I just don't think TV, anything right now is going to survive. I think TV over the next 10 years is going to go away as we know it. And we're just going to be able to buy what channels we want, like a menu. Yeah. And that's going to have, and there's going to be, it's going to be different. It's going to be, you know, you're not going to get a cable bill in 10 years and you're, you've got 120 channels and you only watch five of them and the other 115, you have no idea what these channels are. <laughs> Right. No, that's um, the way my channels look. You know, it's like, why is there so many infomercials and I'm paying for this? It's crazy. Um, but yeah, very good point on that. Now, I'm going to ask you something for the musicians that listen to my show. Um, you know, there's so many different outlets out there of, you know, people like drop your new music here. Um, you know, where would you suggest if it's a new band or a band that's trying to get some traction, uh, maybe a few hints of where they should go and drop their music? I mean, outside of Spotify and iTunes, do you have any, like, um, insights to get attention? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if there's a perfect answer to that, but I think there are some things that bands can still do that... I think a lot of them have gotten away from. Let's just start with what you need to do as a band. Um, first off, you need to practice and you need to play and you need to either rent out a studio, someone's basement or someone's garage. That doesn't happen as much as it used to. And it's a shame because when you listen to some stuff on Spotify, you can tell <clears throat> these songs are not ready. Just like getting yourself in shape to play a sport 
you need to get your songs in shape for them to be heard and them to be played live. So that needs to happen. And there's it's too easy for bands, for artists to just record something really quick and put it out on Spotify. But they need to remember that when you put it on a streaming platform or you put it out on YouTube, that's your last chance at a first impression. And if people are turned off by you on your first impression, and there could be a multitude of reasons why. Sonically, it's not good. It wasn't produced good. It wasn't mixed very well. The song is not cooked enough yet. It's not ready. And anytime you put out something after that, they're going to not want to listen because of their first experience with you. So whether you're a band in 2023, 2024, or whether you're a band from the 80s and 90s, 70s, that doesn't change. You need to really work out your songs. Just because you write a song doesn't mean it's ready to be heard yet. Right. The other thing is before you start putting your music out and you're going and producing, there has to be someone else in the room when you're making music that isn't your mother and your girlfriend that's telling you how great things are. <laughs> right. You need to have someone who isn't afraid to hurt your feelings with, yeah, this doesn't sound good. You're going to be the biggest fan of your music or the biggest critic. The people that are close to you are going to be the biggest fans. They're not going to be a critic. You need someone like an old school A&R guy that comes in and says, this needs to be longer. This needs to be shortened. This needs to be, this riff needs to be different. You need to do that because if you're not listening or you don't have someone in in the room as a sounding board, you run the risk of putting out things that your circle in your life are going to be your fans, but outside of that, people aren't going to dig it. So before you go put your music, plaster your music all over the place, those are kind of the bare basics that you need to do. And those things haven't changed, except for maybe putting your music out too early and you're not having the A&R guy. Because the great thing is everybody can make music now. Everybody can have a home studio and everyone can find an audience. The bad thing is everyone has a studio and everybody can make music and everybody can find an audience. So it's good and bad. You know, there are artists out there that post their stuff on Spotify and YouTube that are not good, not because they're not good musicians, is that they're rushing too much. They're, they're trying to get their stuff out there mm-hmm. too fast. Let it breathe a little bit, let it build. Now, another simple thing to do that hasn't changed is you need to play out live you need to start locally and play and slowly build an audience locally and then start to venture off in the neighboring states or wherever you're at because again you build an audience one by one you can put your music out on spotify but if no one knows about you then no one's going to listen no one's going to care you're going to have to build your social media up and it's going to be even longer for you to do that but you still need to play live and you still need to do that stuff now what are good platforms obviously apple and spotify you want to be on because those are the biggest the two biggest music streaming sites that there are amazon probably has the best sound quality in terms of quality of music so that's always a good one to have be on and all the other platforms it doesn't take much you know the good thing to do is when you're you're creating music is to get your uh, music hooked up with a with a distributor so you gotta look into like places like cd baby that help you put your music out on 
on places like Spotify and other streaming services. Plus, you know, a place like Symphonic, which helps distribute music when you're recording the physical form and all that. But social media in general, when you look at how music has changed in the landscape of music, your two biggest places to get noticed, even though I can't stand them, are TikTok and Instagram reels or Facebook reels and stuff like that. You want to record something really quick and do that. And I know everyone off the record, every musician I've talked to off the record hates TikTok and hates making these short videos. But instead of record companies having A&R guys go to clubs and see you play, they're sitting on a computer getting paying 20, 20 bucks an hour to people to sit on a computer to find people that have a following already on social media and that's who they're going after and it's depressing and it's sad and i know but that's what happens when the music industry as a whole has zero vision and has zero want to develop a band like they used to yeah and uh, so disappointing um and you know then ai came onto the scene and i want to ask you on what your thoughts are um, on AI and the potential that it could be writing songs and it's not coming from individuals anymore like it did for thousands of years? Well, I think it's bullshit. And I think it is coming. It, and it's probably already here. In fact, it is already here. It's not probably. You have the ability to go on ChatGPT and tell ChatGPT you want to write a mid-tempo song that sounds like Zeppelin, Queen, and Aerosmith uh, about falling in love and with you know these types of chord progressions and all this kind of stuff and boom it spits out a song and it's probably going to be pretty good but that's not art that's a program right and if you want to go ahead and make music that way if you're a young artist and that's how you want to make music then go make music that way and never be fulfilled always be a fraud because that's how I and other music fans will always look at you yeah. as a fraud. Because someday, somehow, someone's going to find out that you didn't write that music. You just spit it into a computer. Right. Technology in general keeps getting us further away from what art and the expression of music is. When you think about AI, that's one of the big reasons, right? And AI is going to affect everything. AI is going to affect everything from how you shop to how you Everything. I mean, it's going to impact jobs. It's already impacting jobs with automation and all this stuff. Customer service is all pretty much AI now. When's the last time you were able to get a live customer service person on the phone <laughs> that could answer your questions? Right. It's, it's happening, you know, less and less each day that goes by. So there's a lot of things that go to AI. I do think it needs to be regulated. I know some people mm -hmm. out there hate the word regulation, right. but it does. It needs to be regulated because once this gets out of control, you can't put it back in the box. It's going to be too late. Right. And for musicians out there who are slaving over writing a song, keep doing that because that is expression. That is art that comes from your soul. When you're playing rock and roll, Right, you're channeling the old blues men, the Robert Johnsons, the Elmore James, the Lightning Hopkins back in the day that sat there with a stick and four strings or six strings on a guitar, or not even a guitar, a stick in a box that were making music from their soul, from how they felt. That's what the art is, that's what the expression is. And AI can ruin that 
and AI has a good chance to. And if if you think if you don't think you can write a good song and you need ChatGPT to help you, maybe it's time to stop playing music, right? <laughs> maybe it's time to do other things. Maybe you're just not meant to do it. You know, don't do it the cheap way. Do it the real way. Mm-hmm. And have some self-respect and have other people respect you and you have these record labels capital records two years ago signed an ai artist which is basically a a computer program it was a it was a rap artist and the reason why they they took away the contract they actually signed this entity to a contract Mm. right and it wasn't and they didn't stop it they didn't get rid of the contract or null and void the contract for reasons that you think they would right oh my god there was an out outrage over ai ai artists not an artist it's a program ai program getting a record deal no that's not the reason why they null and voided the contract right you hope that would be the reason because of outrage it was null and voided because the rap program had too many racial stereotypes so that's why they had to cancel it so again you know it's it's bullshit and if fans keep accepting it then this is the world that we're going to be going down and where Further and further each day we get away from the art and the expression that is music, that is creating music, figuring out a riff, figuring out a melody, figuring out lyrics. That's why rock and roll, that's why rock music above all these other genres is always the greatest genre because it comes from a place of attitude, comes from a place of emotion, and let's keep it that. Let's not take it away. I 100% agree. And, you know, technology, you know, has like advanced so quickly and there's some really amazing things about technology and AI scares the shit out of me and multitudes of different ways. And, you know, I would like to see it um, some kind of, you know, like you said, the word regulation um, to make sure that it stays out of music and, you know, movies and, um, you know, and hopefully um, there'll be something that makes sense, right? And um, in politics or some kind of something that Absolutely. The whole strike, I know a lot of people want to bash on Hollywood these days. But when they went on strike, when the actors went on strike because of what the studios were trying to do to the writers and to crew members and set members in Hollywood, they need, these actors that stood up and these actors that went on strike need to be commended because the whole basis of that strike was to stick up for the writers who write these movies, who write these TV shows, who write these commercials, who write all these things, the studios wanted to replace them or start replacing them with AI. These, you know, digital people that make the movie the way you see it, the cinematographers, all that stuff, they wanted to replace these roles with AI. And the actors in Hollywood stood up and went on strike and, you know, wouldn't promote movies, wouldn't promote anything that was coming out because they knew the importance of getting this right with the studios. Now, there's a lot wrong with Hollywood. We can talk about those things all day long, but they should be celebrated for doing that stuff. And more industries need to follow their lead because AI is going to affect every single industry out there, whether a little bit or a lot. So just keep that in mind. 
Yeah, very um, interesting, you know, thoughts to ponder on there. And I guess we will have to see what the future brings on that. Now, I want to get back to your podcast, Jay. And like, what have been like your top three uh, favorite guests, right? That is a good question because I, I don't really think in those terms. <laughs> By the way, do you have beer vendors for your audience or like vendors selling pretzels and stuff or they I, just left on their own? I mean, of course, you know, they've got beer, they've got peanuts, they've got hot dogs, they got pretzels. I mean, I'm almost like a baseball game. I hit it out of the park every time. That's why they go crazy. <laughs> That's why they come back. You know, you know the secret. Um, favorite guests? Whew. Well... That's that's a tough one. I've never really <laughs> ranked my favorite guests because I just enjoy doing it. But I'll go recent guests. Um, well, first off, there's a lot of community fans. I mean, we're called the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock media podcast, because I always wanted to establish a community. And we have a group called the Groove Council that we trade new music with through messaging and everything. And I've had a lot of those people on my podcast, whether it's doing live album reviews, whether it's ranking the quarterly albums every three months and end of year, whether it's talking about stoner rock, whether it's talking about audio systems. A lot of those shows come from, oh, you know, I, Christian Eagle, who's my music insider, who talks about the Live Nation monopoly and all the AI and all the other stuff. I love those shows and they're my favorite guests because they do inform people and I think that's a big part of podcasting and, and, and you know with informing. So those those guests are always great. Matt Wake, rock journalist, Andrew Daly, journalist from Guitar Worlds on very frequently. So um, those are always great episodes. I know I'm probably forgetting some. As far as the new artist goes, um, I love the warning. They've been on a few times. I love when John Nato of Dirty Honey's on. He's awesome. Tyler Baker from Goodbye June's great. The boys from Blackberry Smoke have been on. Tyler Bryant. Uh, just so many, so many. The Gems, which is this great band from Sweden that is kind of an offshoot from the band Thunder Mother, which was the opener for Scorpions a couple years ago. They're always great to have on. Yeah, there's just so many. Um, and then, of course, the Legacy Acts. Tracy Gunn's great guest. Ace Von Johnson is just a tremendous guest, too, as well. Um, yeah, so many. Richie Thompson. George Lynch has been on five or six times. I love when he comes on. Don Dockin, of course, the singer of Dockin. Uh, Joe Satriani. So many. So I don't know if I can quantify my favorite, because I just think that there's a lot that has not been on or has been on that are great for many different reasons but yeah well i love that answer and i think that that's very genuine and um and that's awesome all in one now you've mentioned a few times the um ticketmaster and live nation prices um some of these concerts are outrageous um, to be able to go to for the average person. Can you um, give us any insight of what you've learned and let the listeners know of why this is happening to their pocketbooks? Yeah. Um, 
Why don't you have a seat, everybody, and, and uh, classes in session. All right. Yay. This is what Live Nation, <laughs> this is how Live Nation is the definition of a monopoly. Let's start with the acts, the bands, the artists that play in these Live Nation arenas, okay? They are signed to contracts that can, that can only play in Live Nation arenas, whether these big places or whether these 2,000-seaters, 3,000-seaters, whatever, a lot of those are Live Nation venues, and artists signed to Live Nation can only play those venues. Now, these venues that they turn around and, and pick up as part of their network are Live Nation-only venues. So the venue that's not owned by Live Nation cannot have any other artist play those venues that are not Live Nation, or else Live Nation will break the contract and you owe them a bunch of money and you won't be able to book any of the artists. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to some. It should seem like a big deal because here's what happens, right? Live Nation owns about 80 to 85% of the venues. Oh, wow. Okay. So how can anyone compete with that? And then, of course, if you're a big act, if you're with, if you're Metallica, if you're Taylor Swift, if you're Springsteen, if you're Pearl Jam Foo Fighters, like the whole incentive is to sign with Live Nation because they have all the venues or pretty much all of them. So that right there stifles any form of competition. Right. I mean, how can anyone compete? But how can anyone compete? Let's just say another uh, uh, promoter got 15, the other 15 percent. Well, what bands are going to want to tour that circuit and do that? It's just unlikely. So there is the monopoly right there. Mm -hmm. So all these places are Live Nation events that they play. All these bands are Live Nation acts. They have to that, you know, one hand washes the other. They have to play at those venues, and those venues have to have those acts. And if the venue has another act that's outside of Live Nation, they'll get their contract canceled, owe them a bunch of money. And if the act goes and plays a venue that's not a Live Nation venue, they're going to have problems too. So that's where the, the, the base of the problem is right there. That's, in fact, what the monopoly is. Now, that monopoly leads to screwing people who love to go see live music. So what happens is your favorite band goes on, you know, tickets go on sale Friday. But they've got a pre-sale, right, for all, like, Visa Gold members or American Express members on Thursday or Wednesday. So all those people get in and buy tickets, right? The Live Nation or Ticketmaster, they're one and the same, only put about... 50% to 60%, sometimes even less, of the available tickets on the primary market. The primary market is defined as those tickets that go on sale on Friday at 10 a.m. and the special free uh, early access because you're a Visa Gold member on Wednesday or Thursday. Those are the That's the primary market. So why do they only put 50 to 60% or sometimes less on the market? Well, that drives up the cost. So when they put only that percentage on, on the primary market, when you go buy the ticket, right, now it, be, it causes Live Nation and Ticketmaster to say low ticket alert. Prices are going up, low ticket alert, yeah. all this stuff. So what they do is when you get into the queue, right, you select the tickets that you want to get in the queue. Let's say they're mid-level tickets and for argument's sake i'll just say 100 bucks is a mid-level ticket 
right? You're going right. to get two of them. So it's going to be 200 bucks plus fees. We haven't even gotten to the fees yet. So the 200 bucks rolls in, you, you hit click, you're sitting there waiting, you're waiting for the queue. Now all these tickets of that 50 to 60% are being sold, right? So there's quote unquote demand, an, uh, uh, a fake demand created by Live Nation. So what that does is when you check out that $100 ticket becomes $800. And now that $200 that you were plus fees that you were gonna spend now becomes $1,600, okay? Because now it's it's the in-demand pricing, right? The, 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 the fake demand that was created be, creates this higher ticket price, right? Now it's quote unquote sold out. Well, that means it's only sold out of the primary tickets that are sold. So now what Live Nation does is they flip the rest, the other 40% to the secondary market, your StubHubs, your your vivid seats, all that kind of stuff, right? So have you ever gone on StubHub and you've seen these astronomical ticket prices but all these seats are available? Yes. Live Nation Ticketmaster screwing with the process, trying to get more money, right? So that's what they do. So then they do all this stuff. They create this fake demand. They create this sold out of venue. Then they put them on the secondary market. So they're making all this money, all this money based on screwing you. And then we get to the fees, right? So the fees are, some of the fees are based on a percentage of the ticket sales. So whether you buy two tickets for 1600 or you buy two tickets for 200 in my opinion, the fees should be equal for those two tickets, meaning they shouldn't be more. But if you spend more money with Ticketmaster, the fee is based off of the value of the ticket. Now, whether the tickets are worth that 1600 or they're worth 200 the same process is being followed, right? There's not some extra process for a more expensive ticket. You're not getting a special envelope. You're not getting a phone call to say, welcome to this event or anything like that. You're getting your tickets via email through the same program, no matter how much they cost. Yet the more money you spend, the cost is more money. Okay, so that's a bunch of crap. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on right now in Congress. The Judiciary Committee has met to um, investigate Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Live Nation currently is late on their paperwork that they were supposed to give to Congress. But my question is, anything going to happen? Because usually government doesn't do enough and government's always kind of behind technology. And... Uh, who knows what's going to happen, but something needs to be done. And this monopoly needs to be broken up for everyone's sake who enjoys going to concerts, who likes playing live music, all that stuff. And the, one other thing, uh, a couple other things. California was the first state, and I hope this follows other states, that passed a transparency law with companies like Live Nation where you have to show what exactly these fees are and what these fees are for Hell yeah. when you get when you get your email like like what what this goat money goes to and hopefully that'll start asking more questions or that'll cause more questions to be asked the last thing that needs to be happening i don't know if this ever will is those artists i mentioned the metallicas the taylor swifts the pearl jams the food fighters the springsteins where the fuck are you like your fans are getting toasted right now i know because of these fees Right? right, and you're making millions and millions of dollars. I mean, I think Taylor Swift is like the first billionaire rock artist or musician, you know, based on current music and all that stuff that there ever was. She's making so much money, 
And I know she actually has a lawsuit against Ticketmaster and Live Nation. We'll see where that goes. Something to follow. But people, this is what affects you. Music lovers, this affects music lovers. This is a concern you should have. This is a real issue of the big conglomerate company bending you over and shoving it in your ass, basically. And no one seems to care. So when you start getting these ticket prices, start posting that stuff on social media. Start saying, like, this is an outrage. Look at all these fees for these tickets. Questions need to be asked. The power of the people still exists, and that's what's going to create. And that's what needs to be. That's what needs to happen with Live Nation. I mean, goddamn, Springsteen. The, the, the artist for the working man, right? The, the blue collar guy. Where the fuck are you, Bruce? Your fans are getting screwed. No, you know, I... Your blue collar fans that you marketed yourself for years as being the blue collar guy, they're getting screwed. Where are you? Say something. Do something. I 100% agree. And, um, you know, it's just really sad that... You know, the on the musician side of it, you know, it's not like these ticket prices are unknown, right? And maybe the inner workings of Live Nation wasn't all figured out yet. But, you know, it's just, I think about a family of four, right? And let's just say you got uh, some kids that love Taylor Swift. You know, it's really hard when you're a parent to not give your kids something that, you know, they're like, I love Taylor Swift or I love this artist and to not be able to take them because you can't afford something when they're in town is shitty. You know, it's it's hard. So I wish that they would, you know, also think about their young fans, right? And, um, you know, and it's like, even if they're teenagers, a lot of times those tickets fall on mom and dad. And it sucks to tell your kids no, especially when they enjoy the band, you know, and music is such a healing thing. So, um, you know, I, I really like your explanation on it, Jay. Thank you. And I hope that that gives some of the listeners a better understanding of what the hell's going on and to start to say something. Yeah, no, absolutely. There needs to be more outrage. There needs to be more questions asked. I will say that no one is entitled to go to a concert, right? I mean, just because you're in existence doesn't entitle you to go. What bothers me is the process to get to these ticket prices, right? It's the monopoly of the venues and the artists. It's the tiered pricing when you're sitting in a queue based on demand. It's the fees that are based on the price. It's all this smoke and mirrors crap that exists that's driving the prices up. If these were the prices based solely on a healthy, competitive market, right? If there was a monopoly and there were four companies that handled concerts and bands throughout the country, throughout the world, and these were the prices, well, then you just say, well, this is what the market bears. But I guarantee you that if the monopoly gets broken up and there's three or four other competitors for venues and for bands and artists or bands can go play wherever they want they don't have to sign with a promoter they can just go play abc company they can play the live nation venue whatever that will drive prices down astronomically or maybe they won't i don't know but the market needs to be fair and the market isn't fair right now and that's what's bothersome I 100% agree, and I do hope that that gets better in the future because, you know, but it's not just about the, you know, famous um, artists that have names. I had a conversation with a musician 
um, over in the Spokane area that was like, you know, it's really hard for the live, you know, venues for smaller places like these smaller bars or these smaller venues to compete against the casinos as well. And, um, you know, especially if you live in an area because these casinos bring in, you know, a lot of, you know, bands and stuff on the weekends. And so these, you know, dive bars or bars with a smaller stage, which, you know, like you mentioned, if you're a new band or you're a band, play your local venue. Um, but it's hard to get people out um, to smaller venues um, lately. And that's yeah. really sad. And, you know, it does hurt the mus musicians and the musical community in general. What do you think is a solution to get people back out into some of the smaller venues to support the bands? Uh, here's the number one reason for local music markets and local venues. Stop going to see cover bands. If you're a music fan... Right. There's two different types of people that enjoy music. There are music fans and music consumers, right? right? Music consumers are the cover band crowd, right? They want to go hear something that's familiar. They want to go hear what they like. They don't care who's playing it. They'll try to convince their friends that it sounds just like the band that, they, that they're playing. And it doesn't. It doesn't sound anywhere close to that. Um, so that's what happens on Friday and Saturday nights is all these people go and they go see basically wedding bands that are performing at bars um and it's it's nonsense so that's what's killing local music markets because like you said getting people to go see original music is very difficult because we live in a society in a day and age that only wants things spoon-fed to them they only they want things that are easy they want things that are familiar they don't want to be challenged and they don't want to think that's why cover bands are so popular right now listen a lot of these guys in cover bands are great musicians and again they get paid a lot of money to play casinos to play local venues because they'll know they'll bring in patrons and they'll place patrons will want to drink and alcohol is the biggest money maker for a bar otherwise bars wouldn't be in business so yeah they bring in people but it's the whole it's the whole system, right? I understand the bar owner, the venue owner who wants to hire these cover bands because they'll bring in people because people want to go see, again, and hear music that they're familiar with. Those are the music consumers. The music fans are the ones that know, you know, the seventh song on the third album by Def Leppard, on the, you know, and, you know, what was the, what's better, side A, side B? They have these debates with each other. They're passionate about music. They talk about, like, the songs that are not known and why this song should have been released more. Those are the hardcore music fans. Unfortunately, every day, music consumer takes more piece of that pie every day because it's easy, right? It's easy to just kind of like the popular songs. It's easy to kind of know the familiar stuff, but that in essence is what's killing live music at the bar and small venue level is people like that, people that go see that. So I am a no cover band kind of guy. I have seen cover bands. I have some friends that are in cover bands. They know full well how I feel, but um, I know people who go, and see these bands perform every other weekend like they're like they're deadheads following the Grateful Dead from city to city. It's just go see some live music. There's so much great new rock music out there. Go see a new rock band. And you won't break the bank. You know, some of these tickets are not sold by 
by ticket by Live Nation. A lot of them are fifteen bucks, twenty, twenty five bucks, probably no more than forty. You know, when you get into maybe some of the bigger, younger acts, and you'll hear good music and you'll enjoy yourself and you'll get to be able to meet the band afterwards because they're at the merch table signing their vinyl and taking pictures and talking with you. I mean, you want to take your kid, you want your kid to, to love rock music. My son is a huge rock music fan. I took him to his first concert when he was five years old. I, taught, I took him to see Butch Walker. And I know there's people that are concerned. Oh my God, how could you take your kid to a rock concert? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Your kids are got a cell phone attached to themselves everywhere they go. They are seeing way worse things on their phone than they will see at a rock concert. Okay? 100%. But go give them the bug of live music. Go give them an enriching experience that they will be mesmerized with the crowd and the band playing, and they will fall in love with it. That's how you start a rock band. That's how you start a live music band. Stop with this other crap and and all this stuff like too afraid let your kid grow up in a sense of reality take him to a rock show i 100 percent agree and you know you're right with their little devices that they have in their hands i mean a rock show is going to be good for them right and it is a good place too i mean if it's a rock show or i remember you know being like in my teenage years and going and seeing i know it's going to sound funny but casey and the sunshine band and there's a hard, there's a heavy metal band. I know it, right? But I mean, I just remember how much fun it was. Like that was like my yeah. first exposure, you know, to what it was to first of all be in a crowd of people of, you know, of excitement to see a band, and you know, I mean, just the experience outside of seeing the band and just connecting with people. I mean, there's not a concert that I haven't or a venue I haven't came out of with a new friend. And um, it is a good way to socialize as well, especially everybody coming out of COVID, like those weird times of like, you know, we were all hermiting inside and then trying to re-socialize again. Do you think that part of as well, the issue is, is coming out of COVID where nobody was really going out? Do you think that that could be still affecting the live music venue for the smaller uh, venues? Yeah, I think it still has an impact, but that impact existed even before COVID. Okay. I mean, this is not like like a new problem over the last year or two. Uh -huh. This has been growing every year. And actually, I think COVID kind of put a pause on it, but it also made things worse because unfortunately, a lot of these small clubs didn't survive because, you know, depending on where you were in the country, you were getting shut down. You couldn't have concerts you can have events at your venue so yeah i mean it's an ongoing problem it seems to be getting worse instead of getting better but i don't know we'll see where we are in a couple years because as i said at the beginning of the show a lot of these legacy acts are going to be done and where are these rock bands going to go they're either going to become newfound cover band fans or they're going to actually you know buck up and go see some new young bands and hopefully it's the latter because, you know, the world doesn't need more cover bands. I think the problem, though, again, is a cover band scene, which just kills any original local rock scene. It does. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, I expect to see a cover band at a wedding. <laughs> exactly. That's why I said wedding bands are playing bars. These, in fact, what you're seeing every weekend at these bars and everything, these cover bands, they're basically wedding bands. Yeah. There are what I mean, like when you, I don't even know if they have bands anymore at weddings, but 
when you used to go to a wedding they had a band they would play like the top 40 they would play the top hits that everybody knew right and that's what is now in these bars they're basically wedding bands i mean in fact there's actually a cover band in chicago called the wedding band <laughs> and they play all covers i mean it's ridiculous but it's been growing and growing for the last three decades or so probably a little less than that but not by much and it's just consuming these local markets and you know part of me gets frustrated with the people that are in these cover bands but i also get it right you don't want to put too much think time in it you're you work 40 hours a week you got a full-time job you want to go out on the weekends blow off some steam and play guitar on stage fine i get it but yeah it's, it's um i'm no fan of that whole that whole industry yeah well okay now let me ask you this um now we're gonna get on you here um so, so did you ever play in a band an instrument anything when you were in like high school no, well, I played saxophone in the school band, but that was for about two months. Okay. And um, I never played in a band. However, I was around music at a fairly early age. Mm -hmm. My first exposure to music was my grandfather, who used to play piano in the speakeasies in Chicago that were all owned by the mob. Oh, nice. So he'd play for all the mobsters on piano uh, back in the day. And he had a baby grand in his basement when I used to stay overnight there. I used to I used to be woken up on a Saturday or Sunday with him playing the piano. So that was a big, huge part of my life. And then a few years later, my brother bought home Journey Escape. He's a few years older than me. And the first song on Journey Escape is Don't Stop Believing." So I recognized the piano, which is the intro of that song. And then the guitar took, you know, you know, came in and the singer came in, Steve Perry, and the rest was history. So I've been consumed by music for, since I was four years old. And I used to be that kid growing up in a Catholic school who would listen to the hard rock heavy metal station in Chicago called WDBX 103.1, which was a Spanish station during the day. And they would play from seven at night till one in the morning and I would fix my boom box on the other side of the bed, run my headphones up when my mother would say goodnight to me I would put the headphones in and I would listen till one o'clock in the morning. I would listen to literally six hours of hard rock heavy metal on most nights and it really developed my ear. My brother was in a band playing guitar. I used to live with a rock band in my early 20s. So the biggest compliment to me is my ear for music and my ear for like a song and stuff like that. And that's developed with the hours and hours of music that I've listened to over the years. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, I was just kind of curious, you know, cause you, with as much um, knowledge of, you know, that you have of music and, um, you know, just different bands and everything i figured that you were like an early rock star in your teenage years like there was like this hidden side of you that i was hoping to reveal i will reveal something i was probably the most innovative probably the best air guitar player <laughs> that, that ever picked up a crutch to use as a guitar wow i'm impressed I was I am impressed. Um, yeah, I did not expect that, but now that I'm imagining it, 
I mean, that's pretty dope. Okay, so where can my fabulous listeners find you? Um, and, like, I know you get around and you're on um, some, you know, big platforms. So why don't you share? Well, uh, The Hook Rocks is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which is a great network of music-related podcasts. Um, a whole bunch of music podcasts are on that platform, including the official Metallica podcast. You can find them at PantheonPodcast.com and on all social media platforms at Pantheon Pods. And then you can find The Hook Rocks on all social media platforms at The Hook Rocks. You can find us on all podcast platforms as well. And yeah, I mean, we've got... 500 plus episodes four and a half years we got you got a lot to listen to uh, when you when you enter in the the world of the hook rock so yeah well that's any, exciting. Any new listeners and when i send me an email or a message i'm always available i always answer so yeah um always enjoy talking with people about music and what is your email address in case somebody would like to email with uh, you with like a maybe a idea for a show topic or maybe just to you know tell you to shut up or you're awesome so I tell them I'm like you can email me to even tell me to shut the fuck up I'm okay with that you know at least we're communicating it's the hook rocks <laughs> at gmail.com that's easy. And, you know, in case you guys didn't have a pen and paper, um, you can always find any of my guests that have been featured on the show on my website, www.iloveshannyshow.com. And you can go to Jay Scott's um, The Hook Rocks um, little poster and click on it. And underneath it will be links to all of his social media and uh, directly to his podcast. And I am super excited that you came on the show and thank you so much. And to the listeners out there, we are going to be listening to a 10 minute little put together spliced up clips of Jay's show. And is there anything that you would like to say to the listeners? Well, I think it's important to know people. If Shani is a got a great podcast here. This is a podcast that's fantastic. Before I get off here, um, if the listeners are going to Chicago, where is the best pizza place in Chicago? Funny you should ask, Shani. Um, <laughs> well, I would go either Pequots, P-E-Q-U-O-D-S, and they, if you visit their website, they do deliver nationally. Oh, cool. And there's another place called Bart's that's really good. There's also a Lou Malnati's, which is kind of like a Chicago chain, but they have really good pizza. Uh, Pat's Pizza down in the city of Chicago. You've got plenty of other great pizza places, but stay away from the chains like your Domino's, your Papa John's, your your little Caesars, that's all crap. Don't be eating that stuff. Funny, you know, like I posted a picture. I had a Pequod's pizza on like New Year's Day. I think it was New Year's Day. It was a January 2nd or whatever it was. I was going to watch the football game, a football game. So I ordered a Pequod's pepperoni. And I posted a picture on all my social media. And I had a couple idiots tell me that why is that pizza burnt? And I guess, you know, to someone who's never had it would think that it is, but it's not burnt. The crust is actually caramelized. 
so it's not burnt. So I explain it to him, like, it's not burnt, the crust is caramelized. No, it's burnt, dude, it's burnt. I, that's a burnt pizza, I would have sent that back. I'm like, no, again, it's not burnt, it's caramel. So I'm arguing with these two idiots on Facebook. And finally I said, listen, okay, this pizza is rated the best pizza in Chicago, and I have, there's two people involved in this conversation, I was saying this to one of the guys. There's two people in this conversation, one that is physically eating it right now mm-hmm. and looking at it, and the other is you, who has it. So I'm telling you it's not burnt. I would not eat burnt pizza. But anyway, long story short, Pequod's, Bart's, Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's, I think, delivers nationwide. Pequod's delivers nationwide. You can get pizzas. You can go on their website and order it. I'm telling you, though, pizza in Chicago, way better than pizza in New York. Right? They don't know how to eat pizza in New York, so they got to fold it up like a like a piece of paper. So let that be that. Let that you know sink in. Well, we might have some New Yorkers on here, and I think that I heard a few audience members clap and a few go boo. So um, I think we've got a mixed bag in the audience between the Chicago style over here and the New York style over here pizza. Well, those people. That are booing basically are telling me that they hate children. They don't wash their hands. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! <laughs> Did I hear a can just being thrown over the That's stage? That's what you're telling me when you're booing me about my about Chicago pizza. Lord, you don't like you. children. You hate elderly people. You don't wash your hands after you go in the bathroom. Oh, you are too much. Well, you have been a hoot. And I appreciate you coming on to my lovely little show and, um, you know, allowing myself and the listeners to get to know you and your podcast. And listen, I mean, you really have a heart out for the music industry and that really showed. And I'm sure it really shines through in your interviews on your podcast and, um, Of course, uh, thank you. And to all my listeners out there, I appreciate you. And thank you so much for your time this week. Uh, Next week, of course, we're going to have another killer show. And um, don't forget to tune in next to the Shanny Rockin' Six, where I have a special musician guest host and maybe perhaps a fellow podcaster on. And we review six amazing songs from six different bands. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. So tune in next and listen every Tuesday, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, another I Love Shanny show. And I'm on all the major platforms. And don't forget, you can listen on my website, commercial free at www.iloveshannyshow.com and if you would like to reach out to me say hello or give me a show idea or like I said earlier just tell me to shut up that's fine too you can reach out to me at the I love Shanny show at gmail.com and I would be happy to hear from you so everybody until next week See y'all soon, and I hope you tune in next for the Shanty Rockin' Six. See y'all later. Bye. Welcome back. It is Jim Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock meet podcast. And our next guest today is a super treat for me because I had an older brother, as I've mentioned before, that was a big, huge Dockin' fan when I was growing up. So I got inundated with hard rock and heavy metal from the time I was six, seven years old. 
And we had this video station in Chicago called WVVX RPM 103.1. It was Spanish speaking during the day. And at seven o'clock, they flicked a switch and hard rock played till midnight. And there was one night this band was playing at the Aragon Ballroom. I think they were opening up for Judas Priest and the lead singer, Don Dockin, our latest guest, came on and stayed in the studio at this radio station for like two hours, two, three hours, and just talked with Scott Loftus, the old DJ there. Well, you know, Nicky Six was on the line for about 10 minutes. You know, he did his overdose on uh, heroin. But I would say the dirt was very honest. You know, I mean, they didn't hide anything about heroin and drugs, and they didn't hide anything. You know, so I thought that was great. And interesting, you mentioned that movie, The Dirt. And right now, uh, Netflix is actually making a movie about Dawkins from the 80s, and it's the same director that did The Dirt. Really? Yep. That is fantastic. Because there's same. a lot, I mean, you guys have a lot of, I mean, with all the history of the band and people that know and familiar with all the stories with Dawkins and the drama, that's going to be very compelling. That's going to be a good movie. It's going to be a good movie. I, a couple months ago, I went down and they wanted to film me at the Whiskey where we started. And they just asked me, you know, questions. And they said, well, we want to know, because there's been so much talk about the whiskey and the rainbow and everything that went on. And people realized the doors were the house band at the whiskey at one point. And, and I just said, well, I'll try to come up with some stories, you know, because it's already been put out there in the dirt and Netflix about the rainbow. And so I tried to come up with stuff that people haven't heard. And I told the director, I said, but I really shouldn't be talking about this stuff because it's pretty debauchery. I mean, like, I told him a story about the whiskey, you know. There's only one bathroom upstairs and three dressing rooms. And we could never get in the dang bathroom when we were playing Van Halen because David Lee Roth made that his uh, temporary sex office. Without further ado, we've got a repeat guest. For you today, we've had Joe on a couple of times previous for his last two soul albums, but he's got a lot going on in 2024, and that individual is Mr. Joe Satriani. As, as we end here, um, last question, which is about the Sammy tour, relates to the Sammy tour. Why did the idea with David and Alex not push through or not come through like the idea that Sammy had to do this Best of Both Worlds tour? What's, in your opinion, what happened? That's tough. I, I don't, um, I, I, you know, I didn't know Eddie, and I, and I don't know the family, and I, I I don't think I'll ever really understand David Lee Roth. I thought I really understood Alex, I, and I think I do. I, I really think I understand his point of view or where he's coming from. So I tend to think that the real difference here is that um, Sammy has a, a real sort of inclusive way of looking at life and, and he, he doesn't like uh, he doesn't uh, he, he notices when there's conflict that is getting in the way of doing something good and he'll try to fix it you know so as a result he you know, it's just like he says, yeah, we're going to do Ain't Talking About Love. I, I know it's not my song, but that's cool. Now, you ask, 
David Lee Roth, hey, are you going to do 5150? Of course, he's never going to do it, you know. Uh, so there's a big difference there, is that you have one guy who's very flexible because he's thinking about the fans, and then you have another guy who, I don't know why he's, Dave is so inflexible on, on a couple of subjects. I really don't, because I don't, I don't know him. You know what I mean? I should ask Steve about it. I mean, Steve knows him, but it... I, I can't say that I really know him. I, I felt that Alex really wanted to do it, and he really, his heart was pure in its intention. Um, but I, I don't know uh, about Dave. I know that Sammy and Mike, their intentions are pure. They really do want to celebrate the music, and they're willing to just, like, mend any fence to make it happen on stage. Um and you know this is they're the original guys you know I mean it's it's uh, it's more than just a tour you know what I mean uh, and, you, and you feel that when you're standing next to uh, Sammy and Mike you know you, there's this an immense amount of power and love with the two of them and playing those songs and, and uh, people they want to experience it and, and they should be able to experience it so I would hope at some point that uh, they figure it out you know and maybe they'll, maybe they'll find you know I mean basically Wolfgang is the guy to do it you know he's the guy to do any tribute there is the rest of us are just going to be copying the album <laughs> as close as we can but it doesn't it'll just you know It'll be fodder for the guitar uh, army out there to criticize. Like, well, you should have done it like this, and he could have done it like that, and she should have done it like this. And <laughs> and it's time again for our annual celebration of the life of Eddie Van Halen. As you know, he passed three years ago on October sixth. And uh, it still, you know, it, it still resonates that he's no longer here because he had such an impact uh, in my life. You guys know the story that I tell the first time I heard Van Halen one first time I heard Eruption. I was like seven years old and I was this young kid. And my brother was at school and I was homesick. I done watching the great space coaster. My mom was cleaning the house and I went in and I grabbed the album, put the headphones on and that was it. I was done. It was incredible. It was the age of Star Wars, and hearing this eruption instrumental was just absolutely incredible. And our first year we did this, we had the author, Greg Runoff, who you know has written Van Halen Rising and the Ted Templeman book. Last year we had the amazing rock journalist, Matthew Wake, who's a great friend of the show too as well. And this year we've got another special guest who I'm really happy to have. And it's going to offer a different perspective of what Eddie meant to guitar players and the music scene in the 80s in Hollywood. Uh, and I'd like to welcome the legendary guitar player of the legendary band L.A. Guns, Mr. Tracy Guns. How are you, man? It didn't lead to us working together. You know, it, it, it led to us being friends. And, you know, so from that point on... You know, he called me like a couple days after. He goes, hey, do you play golf? And I go, yeah, I do play golf. You know, I had lessons and everything. He's like, well, let's play golf. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I started hanging out, out up at the studio, um, at, at his studio, um, you know, going to play golf 
in the early mornings and, you know, doing stuff like that. And he was into drinking beer. I didn't actually our foursome. He was the only, I think maybe one of the other guys drank beer. He drank beer and he'd get mad, (laughs) yell at trees and shit. You know, uh, he was, he was so, uh, transparent and open emotionally. You know, he, you know, he was the real deal human. You know, he didn't try to suppress his feelings in, in, in any way or form. And then during that period of time, um, he had done an interview and he said, you know, Tracy Guns has been coming up to the house, you know, man, he's a cool guy. And, you know, that was a big boost for me, you know, just from, from him saying that in this one interview. And uh, so I go up there one day and I was looking at his super leads, you know, he still had them and he had just got like a new, the new PV. 5152, like some other upgrade of his amp. So he's like, man, you gotta check this one out, da da da. So I brought my Charvel up. I had a, uh, you know, a real early Charvel. Looks like the Futone I'm playing right now. It's like crimson red, uh, two pickups, you know, Floyd, like really, really solid. So I brought that up there. And, uh, you know, I said, hey man, you know, thanks for fucking talking about me in that article. That was like really unexpected. And, I didn't know you felt that way about my guitar playing. He goes, oh, you're a killer, man. You know, he's like so generous that way. You know, it's like, you're a fucking killer. And so we we plugged my Charvel into the new the new amp. And he's like, oh, what are those pickups? You know, like, I think they're Seymour Duncans. You know, those fucking sound great. You know, and uh, so we put one of his guitars on. And I started playing uh, some Eddie Van Halen shit, you know. He goes, why do you always do that? I want to hear your shit. You always mock me. And now you're at my house and you're mocking me. I'm not mocking you. You know what I mean? What do you mean I'm mocking you? He goes, he goes, come on, man. You know, so he was a little sensitive about that. You know, like, like maybe he'd let you get away with it once. You know what I mean? But don't play my shit in front of me, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And, and 